Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com, on Instagram at MyPeaceCorpsStory, and on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story. And if you've been listening to the show and you listen on iTunes or Apple Podcast, and you really like it, or even if you don't, uh, please leave me a review. Five-star reviews are appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. And speaking of reviews, I would like to give a special thanks to S.E. McBay, who says, insightful and entertaining, five stars. Each Peace Corps experience is different. I can't think of a better resource for soon-to-be volunteers or better entertainment for those of us who have already served. Great podcast. Essie McBay, thank you very much for a review. If you guys think that this is a great podcast, I would love to hear a review from you. Or, I guess, read a review from you. See a review from you. You know what I mean. Guys, it is uh, right after Thanksgiving. I had an excellent Thanksgiving, uh, and I I hope you guys did too. A time to reconnect with friends, family, uh, send a few messages to fellow uh, Peace Corps volunteers, and uh, in relation to to this conversation, got me thinking uh, a lot about uh, reaching out to the people in my community uh, from where I serve, and I've got this idea uh, of doing a little bit of an episode about that, so be look be looking out for that. Uh, But all of that came from this conversation, uh, which I had with Chris Norris. We talk about his service in Costa Rica, what he was doing there as a uh, youth and economic development volunteer, uh, about how he met um, his now wife while serving in Costa Rica, and some of his uh, many and varied entrepreneurial endeavors that he has undertaken since leaving the Peace Corps. I had a lot of fun talking uh, with Chris uh, about his service, uh, the things that he's doing now after his Peace Corps service, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. And if you do, uh, be sure to let me know, be sure to subscribe, connect with me on all the various ways. I love hearing from you guys, and if you are a returned Peace Corps volunteer or know somebody who is and has an amazing story, uh, ask them to reach out. Uh, to me and uh, to tell their story. Uh, So I have more content to provide to you guys. But without further ado, let's get to this week's episode with Chris Norris, who served in Costa Rica from 2009 to 2011. This is this is this is this is my my Peace Corps Peace Corps my Peace Corps my Peace Corps story story story. Hi, this is Chris Norris, and this is my Peace Corps story. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Tyler? Doing well and excited to talk to you, uh, who is a, a former podcaster. We we were talking a little bit back and forth, uh, and I, I didn't know this going in, so this is fun to, to connect with a, a, a podcaster and podcaster enthusiast, uh, and also a, a enthusiast of Peace Corps, so two of two of my favorite things, this podcast in its essence uh, coming together, so happy to take some time and learn about your service in Costa Rica. 
Yeah, thank you for having me. I hope that my podcast could be the MySpace to your podcast being the Facebook that succeeds. <laughs> Though maybe that's a bad reference with the news that's come out this week. Yeah, maybe a little bit. <laughs> Hopefully I don't uh, take a dive in uh, too many scandals there uh, with, with my podcast. Uh, but let us get started into your service. Uh, as I mentioned, you served in Costa Rica. Uh, but even before that, why did you want to serve in Peace Corps? What was your reasoning for you know, pulling the trigger and hitting that button, sending off the application to serve? Sure. So, good question. I went to undergrad at a tiny little school in North Austin, Texas, and I changed majors a bunch, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't really fit in the school, especially now looking back as I get older. And so as I was graduating that summer, it was actually the summer of 08, I was origin the original plan was to head to go get my master's in economics. And I was out in the summer between senior year and going to before the fall semester started at my dad's house and we were just hanging out and it just kind of hit me that I didn't really want to do that. I was sick of school. I liked economics, but I didn't like it in the sense of dedicating potentially the rest of my life to it at the master's level and then beyond. And so I ended up not going to school. And then we were just kind of sitting around and my dad was like, okay, well, you got to do something. You're not, you know, sitting on my couch for the next six months. <laughs> and so we we started talking and I come from a family of service. My mom's side of the family goes all the way back to the American Revolution in terms of every generation having somebody to serve. And then my grandfather on my dad's side served in World War II, and then my dad served in Vietnam. And so it just seemed like it made sense that service was the option, but I don't handle rules and regiment that well, and the military uh, just would not have been a good option for me. So I did briefly look into the Marines before deciding against it and ultimately ended up applying to Peace Corps. And one of the appeals of applying to Peace Corps, and I'm sure you know this too, is that the application process is very chill and at no point are you ever really signing your life away or making a commitment. So I just figured, okay, well, I'll apply. I'll, you know, kind of passively look for jobs in the meantime. And we'll just kind of see how it goes. And then another layer on this from the job front is that I am one of the direct descendants of that generation that graduated when the market crashed. So everyone was losing their homes, everybody was losing their jobs, and the economy was terrible, especially for somebody with a communications degree and no real work experience. So Peace Corps was definitely a, a couple year respite from that point, from the more practical point of view. But ultimately, I I applied. I just kept reading about it. The more I read, the more I liked. It seemed to fit me. I went to my interview, and the person that I ended up interviewing with in Oakland, like we just really hit it off. And I, I kind of realized that I, I found my people a little bit, and ended up serving the the full couple of years, meeting my wife there, and here we are. I guess, wow, ten more than ten years later. Wow, and I like how. I mean, you, you hinted at that maybe you didn't really fit into that school at undergrad, uh, but then you sort of found uh, your people, uh, more or less, sure. in, in, the, in the Peace Corps community. 
what would you, I guess, define as as your people or what sort of ideals were you seeing within Peace Corps as you were looking into it that really cemented the fact that, okay, no, this, this makes sense. Yeah. I, I think one of the big things is people that worked really hard and were super smart and, and also wanted to make the world a slightly better place. And I think that idealism is really what I caught onto. We were, talking about podcasts at the jump and my podcast was actually called the optimist podcast. And that is because I at heart am an optimist and I believe in the good of the world. I believe we can always make things better. And I think Peace Corps and just being around that environment was the first time where I really felt like I was not alone (laughs) in that belief and that there were people around me that, that felt that same way and were working towards a similar mission. So I think that's kind of the big thing. I also think there's this element of adventure. I mean, homebodies, so to speak, don't get up and go serve in the Peace Corps for two years. So you usually, at least in my experience, it was a community of people who were searching for something and willing to go anywhere in the world to find it. And as somebody who didn't really know what was next, where I wanted to go, what I wanted to be, that was the perfect atmosphere to be around as well, especially at that age. Mm-hmm. Well, I I definitely agree uh, with with everything you said, and I I I feel that Peace Corps people are my people too for the for what for what you said of you know sort of general optimism and wanting to to go out and find something and do something, maybe not all the time knowing exactly what it is, but having that burning desire to you know do something constructive. Yeah, for sure. And we, I actually, I met my wife in Peace Corps. Um, We've been together 10 years next year now. And we, we, I mean, we still have that same sense of just going and not even being totally sure where we're going. Uh, We, we came back, we moved to Denver, then we moved to San Diego, and then we actually spent almost a year abroad in seven different countries recently. And, you know, now we're in Minneapolis. And I, I think that is all rooted in both of our desires to travel for that first time. And, and it, it, we kind of blossom that experience in Peace Corps. And it, it's something that stuck with us ever since. Mm-hmm. And just to clarify, uh, your, your wife uh, was a fellow volunteer, correct? Yeah, she, she was a fellow volunteer. We were in the same class, Tico 19. Uh, Tico is the affectionate word for Costa Ricans in Spanish. Uh, so we, yeah, we were both Tico 19. We were the same, uh, subgroup. So we had like 51 volunteers in the country and then we had three groups, one focused on rural development, one focused on economic development, one focused on youth development. We both met in the youth development cohort, and we've fortunately, um, in training, we were close to each other when we first started dating. And then when we got our site assignments, mine actually got changed at the last second. And we went from being about a 14 hour bus right away, uh, to two hours, no. which two hours in Peace Corps time is like 15 minutes in America having a car time. Oh yeah. That's, so that's maybe, nothing. Yeah. So yeah, it was two hours and no transfers on the bus, which was great. So that was, that really felt, especially looking back now, it seemed like fate was stepping in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, you got into a little bit of 
what you were doing when you said, you know, you were a, a youth uh, development volunteer, but what does that actually mean? What sort of activities were you doing in Costa Rica? Sure. So I went to a community with a high school, which not every volunteer focused on youth development did. A lot of them just had elementary schools and then the high school would be, you know, in a, in a bigger city or the town over or something. But I had a high school and I focused mostly on um, teaching business classes to juniors and seniors in that high school. I also, uh, through the program Junior Achievement, which we have in the U.S., but a lot of people haven't heard of it. But it's basically like a four-month program where these high school students started a business. My kids started a business where they actually made jewelry and purses and then sold it throughout the community. And that was that was a great experience for them. And it was the first time they really all get to under, got to understand kind of what it takes to start a company, what it takes to track the books, to have a CEO, to do the labor, all these different things. So that was a big piece of my service. I also taught some English classes to both high schoolers and then some young adults that really wanted it, as well as an advanced English class to a couple people. I can't speak for the rest of the world, but because tourism is the second largest industry in Costa Rica, this learning English is such a valuable commodity there that you it widens the amount of jobs you can get. So it's super important for people there to to keep learning it and to trying to get better uh, based on their economic situation. And then we we did some soccer tournaments both on the field and then like at the five on five court. And then working on building a multi use court. So it's like the size of a basketball court, and then it has basketball hoops, and then under the basketball hoops are soccer goals. Uh, so it's and and Costa Rica at least mostly every I would say ninety five percent of the time it's used for soccer. <laughs> the basketball goals were more just kind of they would accidentally kick the soccer ball off of it from time to time. And we worked with an organization in the U.S. called Courts for Kids to raise a bunch of money in the U.S. and then work with a volunteer group that came down from the U.S. for a week to help us build the court. And then we had about fifty local volunteers, most of them fishermen, uh, come help build the court for a week. And so it was this combination of building this court in the high school, which is something they desperately needed for the recreational activities. And then also this inter, um, this cultural exchange experience with the the volunteers coming from the U S and then the, the locals in the community. And then the, the last major thing we did was we built a computer lab in the high school and we, I wrote a grant to get 20 computers donated. We had a weird setup and that we had had an elementary school for since like the 1960s in the community, but the high school had only been around since 2004, which I got there in 09, so only about five years at the time. And they, uh, my first year there was actually the first year they had a graduating class in the high school. So they still did not have, they had the bare minimum in funding. They still did not have all the resources they needed. And so having computers in the elementary school, but then not having them in the high school didn't make a ton of sense and was really kind of harming uh, all those high schoolers that then had to go into the labor market and know how to to use a computer, even though they hadn't used it for several years and most likely did not have one in their home. Uh, So that was a big push for us. And we were fortunately able to, to get the computer lab built and some computers donated and kind of continue that online education for those high schoolers. Well, a a wide range of projects, which is is not surprising to me. Uh, usually, we we tend to take on 
a lot as a volunteer because uh, we, we we have a lot of time on our hands. Uh, sure. of, of all those projects, do you have one that like was your your favorite or is kind of like that the iconic Peace Corps uh, service experience? Yeah, I would say the court for a couple of reasons. First, it was a massive and a very tangible thing. So you could just go look at it, which is a huge advantage when you're doing product projects to get the community excited about. The fact that they can go look at it and see it on a daily basis is just cool. Um, when you're doing like sexual health or English teaching even, those are obviously super important and volunteers should do those. But from a community perspective, it's just a little bit harder for everyone to get excited about it because they can't, it's harder to see somebody's like English progress, for example. And so that's one piece. The, the other piece is that Costa Rica gets a ton of short-term volunteer stints from a lot of people in the U.S., and especially like high school and college kids who come for three weeks, six weeks, and they do like one tiny project and leave, or they kind of, I don't want to say be fake volunteers, but they kind of go through the motions, and it's more about saying you did a thing than actually doing a thing. And so Costa Rica and my community had, a, had an experience with these students or small groups coming and staying there for a few weeks, really hanging out, maybe showing up to one or two community meetings and then going back to the U.S. and uh, nobody ever hearing from them again. And so the fact that the court was, you know, nine months in the making, we had to get all these volunteers, we had to raise all this money, like it just showed one, my commitment to the community, which then got everybody else to buy in. And it just brought everybody closer together, um, both like all the fishermen we worked with and then everybody in the high school got super behind him, was super excited. And it just, it's like this shared experience that everybody got to have because it was, it was such a labor intensive thing that I think ultimately like is the, is why I look back on it so fondly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To, to have, as you said, that, that physical thing to look at for the community to rally around, uh, th those projects, uh, definitely stand out, uh, they're not necessarily more important uh, than those ones that you sort of, you know, on a one-on-one -on -one basis, uh, but they definitely, you know, they're a little bit easier to attach meaning to. Uh, and, and then, wait, uh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, one of the other super random things about the court that ultimately, um, looking back is super cool is, I'm, and I'm sure you know this, and I'm sure people who have served in the Peace Corps can relate to this, is that you get into your site for those first couple months, and you're not doing shit. <laughs> you're just kind of occasionally meeting with the one person you know, or like wandering the streets, or randomly showing up to a school to say hi, but there's a ton of downtime. And that was no different for me. So one of the things I did during my downtime is our neighbor was building a new house. And I just went over and helped him build his house. I wasn't trying to get paid, wasn't asking for anything in return. I just, quite frankly, wanted something to do and somebody to talk to. <laughs> and so him and I built, I helped him build his house. And over the course of his service or of my service, he, he moved into it and he had uh, three kids and two of them were actually in the high school. Well, he, I came to find out later, he was actually a contractor. He would build houses for everybody else in the community as well. And it was that initial relationship and him, helping him build his house and becoming friends with him 
that is ultimately what convinced him to be the lead contractor on our court. So instead of having a bunch of amateurs try to get this thing right, make sure it's level, like put everything in place, having a professional do it that actually cared because he had you know, two daughters in the high school um, ended up like you never know with your Peace Corps service at the those like random interactions at the very beginning, um, how much they come to, to pay off in the end. Mm-hmm. No, that is that is very very similar to a lot of the stuff that that I had in my service. That those those people that you meet in those first three months, where yeah, you're you're not doing anything. You're just yeah, you're, walk, you're walking around just trying to find someone to talk to and hang out with, uh, so you don't spend all day reading in your house. Uh, like those are the relationships that really set the foundation for the the rest of your service. And so awesome that you were able to to connect with him, uh, and that he ended up being a contractor, they could really help you do this project right. Yeah, we got, I feel like we got super lucky. I know other volunteers that have done that either had to like find an outside contractor who they didn't know, or they had to pay a bunch Mm -hmm. of money to, to actually get them to do the work. And they just didn't have that same relationship. Um, so yeah, I feel like I got super lucky with that. Mm -hmm. Well, it definitely sounds like you, you did a lot that it was successful that you made connections in your community uh, but was there anything that you struggled with or uh, a, a least favorite memory uh, as i often ask uh, from sure. your peace corps service yeah so i think every peace corps country is structured the same but in case not in costa rica you go through three months of training and about three weeks left into training you get your community assignment and then before training ends, you go for like a four or five day stint to the community to meet your host family for the first time, to just kind of get to know the area, get your feet wet, make sure you know how to get there on a bus, and then head back to the capital to finish training. At least that's how it is in Costa Rica. And so when I went for that initial four or five day stint, uh, the first or second night I was in my host family's house in my bedroom. I woke up with a snake in the bed, which for anybody that knows me, snakes are the one thing that I have an irrational fear of. I don't want to see them in the zoo. I don't (laughs) want to see them in movies. I want nothing to do with them. And so this is like, if you, you could not have picked a worse thing. Your worst fear. Yeah. Yeah. And so I woke up with a snake in my bed and I... You know when like sometimes people do like superhuman things and they like black out and they don't really remember it. <laughs> That's kind of the experience I felt like I had and I just grabbed it in the like middle of its body and whipped it as hard as I could against the wall across the room. Like I I just saw it instinctively like this just needs to get out of the bed. I to this day don't know if it was poisonous or not. Um so I ended up so I I got up I like jumped up in bed like um, threw it across the room and I don't know if I killed it or knocked it out, but it wasn't moving. And so I was able to get like a towel and like kind of create like a hammock thing for it to flip it outside and then just sat there like wide eyed for the rest of the night. This was like one or two in the morning and just kind of sat there for the rest of the night. Like, Oh good God, what have I done feeling? (laughs) So that that was like kind of my I don't know if it's welcome to Peace Corps. It's more like oh my 
oh good god i'm in peace court kind of moment but it's like okay this is real yeah. yeah that's definitely my least favorite memory uh did you have any more interactions with snakes during the rest of your service i did not fortunately um I don't know if I could have handled anymore. So I, I handled my one. I think I handled it pretty well, all things considered. And fortunately, I, I didn't have to <laughs> to chop any heads off or run away screaming. Okay, good. Uh, well, I guess you, you don't miss uh, the, the fear of waking up with a, with a snake in your bed. It's not, not a fear that you really no, uh, have, have in the United States. Uh, but... What what do you miss about your Peace Corps service? I miss I miss my community a ton. I was in this small fisherman's village where I would say nine out of every ten people were fishermen, and so they'd go out into the Gulf of Nicoya and then they'd catch it and ship it to the capital and they would, you know, feed it a lot of the capital. Um it all came from my community. So I, I just missed the community and the vibe there. It was super chill. Everyone walking around in like board shorts and those high like plastic rain boots. Um, so that's that's one thing, just kind of the vibe of it. And then I also just miss a lot of our fellow volunteers. We actually had a a reunion a few years ago of five years that for the, from the end of our service. And I was just amazed at how many people figured out just how to make it work to get there for, for Memorial day weekend and, and just getting to hang out and just being around people who understood what you were going through when nobody else in the world could, because it's just such a unique experience that no matter how many times you tell your sister or your dad or, you know, somebody in your family or a friend about the, how you're having a hard time or, um, you get super excited about what seems like a very small thing. The, the only other people in the world who can really understand that are Peace Corps volunteers and just kind of that camaraderie I really miss. And then I just miss, you just end up doing some crazy shit. <laughs> like you just end up in the most awkward cultural situations, social situations. Like all of a sudden you're at some like church of community event and you're like dancing with the grandma you've never met. It's just the most, all your awkwardness in life just will never top those two years. And it's kind of sucks sometimes in the moment, but it's, it's super fun and funny and it really helps you push out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And you said that you, you miss your community. Have you been able to, stay in touch and stay connected with them? A little bit with my, mostly my host dad and then my host sister are the two that I've talked to the most. And then every now and then I, so I worked a ton in the high school. Every now and then I talked to the principal of the high school and um, her and I had a really good relationship. So those, I probably not as many people as I should or as I would have liked, but every now and then I, I talked to a few people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I personally did well my first year, and then it's just been a slow decline. It's yeah, kind of, kind of every weekend, it's like, man, I really should block off some time, but I don't. You know, it, I I make excuses. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the main excuse I make is I 
I like go to call or I go to try to get, get set up a Skype date or whatever. And I just kind of sit there and I think, I don't know what we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. especially now. Like, I, I, I mean, I left in 2011 and there, there's just so many ways that life is different in the U.S. that the things I would talk about, like career or, you know, family stuff is just you get more and more disconnected and it's hard to relate to. Um, so that's always my, my number one excuse is just, I, like we would get on the phone for 90 seconds and then after the pleasantries, it'd be, if it would feel very forced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my experience as well. Once you get past the salutations and the weather, yeah. um, okay. okay I, I can't really, my, my office job doesn't mean much to you. Right. Uh, and, and another thing that you said that you kind of miss and enjoy, even though it was maybe uh, maybe awkward at the time, are those uh, those situations that you just find yourself in, you know, dancing at a wedding or, you know, agreeing to, to go, you know, maybe out into the wilderness and, and just do this crazy stuff. Have you been able to like recreate that or do you struggle to recreate that not in a Peace Corps context? Yeah. So I think I've tried to recreate it in little ways, but I don't think ultimately you can. I think the number one way I have tried to recreate it is by being an entrepreneur. I think Peace Corps was the first time in my life where I really stepped back and realized oh, I like being in control. I like doing things on my timeline. And I am self-motivated enough to start my own thing. And so I've started a few companies or joined on to early startups over the years. And I think that's the one world where you just get put in that kind of figure it out situation that Peace Corps really is all about in a lot of ways. But in terms of the awkwardness or like, yeah, just kind of recreating that this could only happen in Peace Corps. I, I just don't think, at least from my experience, I haven't been able to recreate that. And I I think even if I really wanted to, I would struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since I am interested in entrepreneurial endeavors, since I have uh, a few going on uh, myself, uh, do you want to talk about those or the stuff that you're doing? Uh, or Sure. Okay. Yeah. Let, let us know what are what are some of these entrepreneurial things that you've done post Peace Corps and work that you're currently doing. Yeah. So me, the very first one I ever started was actually probably our best product in terms of the thing we were selling. We it was me and two college buddies. We just had no clue what we were doing. <laughs> we had no money and no idea of how to get money. But we built a, an app for your phone. This was back in 2011, 2012, where apps were still, you know, they hadn't exploded yet. And we built a sports magazine app. So you'd download it, you'd read it. It was before even ESPN had their magazine digitized. You would still, the way you read ESPN magazine at the time was you got an emailed PDF and then you would download the PDF on your phone. So that's kind of the the landscape we were dealing with. So we built an app um, for sports magazine content. And then... We the next one that I actually joined was with another a guy I actually met in Peace Corps. He started it um, was a company called Athlete, and it was basically the IMDb for sports. So it was every stat point, every piece of information, trivia, random factoid you could think of for athletes in all sports. 
not just major leagues, but minor leagues, leagues all over the world. Um, and then another woman and I started a tried to start a couple sports apps. One was focused on being able to go to a bar and but before you go to that bar, knowing what game was going to be on. And that started because I was living in San Diego at the time and San Diego is a huge transplant city. And very few people actually care about the San Diego teams. They care about the team of wherever they came from, which for me was Houston. And so going to a sports bar and not knowing if a Houston, the Houston game I wanted to watch was actually going to be on or I would have to like fight to get somebody to change the channel. That was the idea behind it. That did not work, to be blunt. And then we, we started an app are targeted at solving disputes in fantasy sports uh, so like fantasy football, if two people got in an argument, you would put it to a crowdsourced vote and then whatever they decided, that's what your league would do. Um, and then the most recent one is I started a company with a guy and we are building investment for portfolios for people um, that want to invest socially responsibly. So, the, for example, if you want to invest in retirement or roll over 401k or start an IRA, but you don't want to invest in oil or fossil fuel companies, we can create a portfolio that screens those out. If you want to invest in companies that focus more on racial and gender diversity, we can do that as well. So companies that have a history of being bad actors with sexual harassment or, for example, a couple of weeks ago, Google, it came out, paid that guy $90 million after he got fired for sexual assault allegations uh, with another employee. Uh, screening out those kind of companies and then focusing on the companies that um, actually do take that stuff seriously, are taking measures to make sure that they have diverse boards, diverse workplaces, that it's a very a much more inclusive environment. Whereas if you want to avoid gun companies, um, which I know sometimes is the third rail to talk about, but uh, if you would like to not invest in companies that are profiting off of all these mass shootings, we can do that as well. And then we can do mix and match. The goal is just to feel good about <laughs> The, what your money is going into. And fortunately, research shows that these type of this type of investing actually outperforms the normal market. It, the, there's a socially responsible index and it actually outperforms the S&P over the last 25 years. So you can feel better about it and you can make money, which is cool. So we started that a few months ago and um, that's been super fun. Again, it just... It's been a few years since I started a company, and it just kind of reminds me how much I miss it and how much I enjoy just getting to decide the thing I do that day in terms of achieving a larger goal, which is obviously very similar to what you're trying to accomplish during your Peace Corps service. Mm -hmm. And uh, because I fashion myself a little bit of a, a financial geek, uh, I got a, a <laughs> few a few follow-up questions. Uh, do you guys have it sort of pegged at a at a return rate like i mean you said you're doing better than the s&p which usually tracks anywhere between like seven and ten percent like what sort of return are you guys forecasting for your different portfolios i'm always hesitant to put a number on it because <laughs> people hear that and then they just think okay that's the number which with any market is is never the case the the biggest difference between us and the, I would say it tracks similarly to the S&P. The biggest difference is that companies that focus on social responsibility and just generally not being a-holes tend to not have as many dips 
as all the companies in the S&P. So you might track similarly, but you if you won't have any as great as dips, you'll still have dips in the market. There will always be dips in the market. Let me make that clear. But research suggests that the socially responsible companies don't dip quite as much. And so as a result, because you're not losing as much money at any given point, like you're compounding on that same 7 to 10% more. Um, so it's, it tracks similar to the S&P, but, and you can see we have a graph actually on our site that shows this investedinterest.com shameless plug. And you can see that it, it's outperformed the market, especially recently by, by a point or two. Okay. And, uh, what was that website again? So I can uh, not have to ask all the millions of questions that I want to ask you right now. Sure. I can actually go to your website. Investedinterests.com. Okay. Investedinterests.com. Uh, and then one, one last uh, question, uh, which I could probably easily answer by <laughs> uh, just hitting enter on my computer right now. Uh, so is what you guys do... Uh, like if I was interested, uh, are you guys sort of packaging a portfolio that I then need to like go to Vanguard and then sort of recreate or do I give my money directly to you guys? You go, you would go directly through us. So we would manage it. And the biggest thing I hear is, well, I don't have a lot of money or I can't afford it. We have no minimums and no trading. We just take a percentage of the portfolio, which is less than 1%. It's three quarters of a percent every year. Um, as a management fee, but there's no minimums to get started. You can even open an account and have $0 in it. And if you want to make any changes to the portfolio, we don't charge any trading fees. So for example, um, say you're investing in a company and they're a good actor now, but then you know something comes out in six months and it's like, oh my God, they were doing all these terrible things. I don't want my money in that company anymore. And you, you know, caught, hit us up and you want to make that change that, you know, is just included in the management fee. And so we work with, there's about 400 mutual funds that focus exclusively on social responsibility. And in theory, anybody could go to one of these 400 socially responsible mutual funds and handle it themselves. Um, it's very overwhelming to do. And so we are helping people kind of understand those better. And we're doing all the legwork for you because we worked and finance for years and understand these funds so that we you go straight through us and then we handle all the mutual fund stuff you don't wouldn't need to go to a different company to actually uh get started very cool and uh i will point out to the listeners uh this was not planned uh, the, the, <laughs> uh yeah he, he did not come on here to make this plug uh it just came up and i'm interested in it and hopefully you guys are too so uh while while you did caveat it with a shameless plug uh it, <laughs> it, it is welcome because i think it's in line uh with what a lot of uh, volunteers are interested in and making sure that they're uh buying and investing in stuff that they can, you know, stand behind and morally support. Uh, so uh, do not feel shameful about your plug and this uh, this segue into the the work that you're doing. Right. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and then, um, what what is something that you you learned in Peace Corps? I know we sort of hit on sort of a lot of the things that you learned, but is there one kind of overarching sentiment that you feel that you you learned from Peace Corps? Yeah, I would, I would say there's two things. I would say one, you just learn to figure things out because there's no other option. 
if you don't figure out what you're going to do with your Peace Corps service or what you want to accomplish or how you are going to work with community members, then it's just not going to happen. And then the second thing is that I, I grew up thinking that you had very reg, a very regimented life. And what I mean by that is you go to school, you get good grades, you graduate high school, you go to college, you get good grades, you graduate from there, and then you just go into this nine-to-five job, and that's just your existence. And Peace Corps is not that even a little bit. And I think it has just kind of taught me that there is a balance there and that you can, like, if you want to do a nine to five and you're content in that existence, by all means, I, I don't mean to like disparage, you know, kind of steady career paths, go for it. I totally get why somebody would do that. I just know it wasn't for me. And I grew up in this environment where I felt weird for feeling like it wasn't me because everything was around me was telling me that that's just what you did. And so Peace Corps really taught me that actually, no, that's not true. You can just do what you want to do and figure out how to pay your bills and make money. And if you want to work a nine to five, that's great. If you want to work 12 to 8 PM, if you want to work like three days a week, go for it. If you want to solve all these huge problems that like, we'll probably never solve in our lifetime, like climate change or, you know, food scarcity across the world or clean water. Um, like just go solve those problems. Like you don't need to feel like you have to fit into this box. And I was starting to figure that out as a young adult. And I think Peace Corps really hammered it home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I I think Peace Corps is a good incubator and accelerator for a lot of ideas that for sure uh, that we have sort of starting to formulate uh and just given all that time and the the richness of the experience it just you know throw throws you know fuel onto the fire and really lets us grow these things much quicker yeah for sure i i this is not my story unfortunately i wish it was but i served with a volunteer his name is chase adam and he started a nonprofit organization called Watsi that crowdfunds medical treatment or, or medical services or surgeries all over the world. And he got this idea because in Costa Rica, if you get on a bus, you will inevitably have somebody who needs an operation or something, and they'll go down the aisle asking for money. And it's just kind of cultural. I would say 80% of the bus will give them something, even if it's you know the equivalent of 20 cents or 10 cents, they'll just give them something. And that is what sparked his idea to, you know, start this nonprofit. And so for the last bit of his service, he was focused on how to get this off the ground, how to put what he's seeing on this bus of crowdfunding for these medical procedures into action. And his organization, at least as far as I know, is is thriving because of it. So that's, that's like a tangible example of being on a bus in Peace Corps and seeing Oh, this is a thing that I can take back and apply into the U.S. Mm-hmm, definitely, and I, I've heard of Watsi, so uh, it is definitely uh, big, big enough to be on my radar. I know I'm pretty entrenched in the the, the Peace Corps uh, universe, but uh, yeah, maybe I'll maybe you'll have to reach out to him and say, "Hey, there's this podcast. You should come on <laughs> and, uh, and talk about your your work." Uh, I'm sure he'd be willing. Hi. Right. Well, uh, after the show, uh, you can uh, connect us. Well, uh, 
Chris, I've had a, a blast talking to you about your service, uh, the, the, the snake story, which you maybe uh, don't don't want to think about too much. Uh, the, the the work that you've you've been doing uh, that uh, we didn't plan on getting into, but I really enjoyed hearing about that. Is there anything else you want to tell the listeners of the My Peace Corps Story podcast before we close out the episode? The only thing I would say is that if you are thinking about doing Peace Corps, I would say, one, take the leap. You'll be fine. It's scary, and you'll have moments where you hate it, but you will figure it out, and it'll be great. And then two, if you are going to Peace Corps, do not go back to the U.S. Stay for your full two years in your country. Mm-hmm. And, and and why do you say stay for the full two years and not go back? I just, so I was one of the two people in our cohort that never went back. And one of the reasons I chose not to is because our program director, he had actually served in Peace Corps twice. Once he did go back a couple of times and the second time he never went back. And he said it just enriched the experience and he felt so much more connected to the culture because he was inherently disconnected from the U.S., that it, it just made the experience that much better. Okay. Well, thank you for those. And in closing, I'd like to ask if uh, you have a favorite quote or local saying to share. Sure. So there's a couple of things in Costa Rica. So the first one is provecho, which is basically the uh, Spanish version of bon appetit. So somebody's eating or you sit down to eat together, everybody says it. My wife and I still say it to each other before every meal to this day. Um, but the most common one in, in Costa Rica is Pura Vida or Pura Vida Mai, which is basically like, it translates to pure life, dude. But it's basically like, no worries or it's all good. And it just kind of encapsulates how chill Costa Rican culture is. Um, Costa Ricans are incredibly famous for being incredibly late <laughs> everywhere like an hour late or two hours late to a thing is no big deal. And that is the number one thing you'll hear if somebody rolls in two hours late and you're like, where have you been? And they're just like, what have you am I? Like, no worries. So. Well, those are perfect. Thank you very much for sharing those and sharing your experience, your stories. Uh, it has been a pleasure. I'm definitely going to be uh, poking around on uh, your, uh, your website for uh, invested interest in and learning a little bit more about you guys. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and spending some time with me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tyler. This was a ton of fun. And there you have it. Another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show. That way you get a new episode every single week when I release them. As I said at the very beginning of the show before we got into it, uh, if you are a Return Peace Corps volunteer, no Return Peace Corps volunteer, and you have a story to tell, which I know you all do, uh, please reach out to me. You can find multiple places to click uh, to tell your story over at mypeacecorpsstory.com. Uh, I would love to, to hear from you and help you tell your story. Well, until next time, remember that every volunteer has a story. What's yours?